Welcome to this webinar series, Physical Activity Researcher Podcast and International Society for Physical Activity and Health, ISPA, have started collaboration. We have edited their webinars to audio-only podcast versions, so you can listen them also on the go. Our mission is to advance science and share scientific knowledge, so if your organization has relevant webinars or lectures and would like to get more audience to them, please let us know. But without further ado, let's jump to the webinar. Jasper spoke earlier today in his capacity as president for ISPA, but here uh, he's going to be presenting some of his research activity. By way of introduction for those who were not online for his presentation earlier, Jasper is a professor in active living environments at the University of Southern Denmark. Um, and he has two principal research streams, one concerned with multidisciplinary intervention studies to create active living environments, and the second focused on developing tools and methods that make it possible to measure active living and the environment it takes place in. Uh, Jasper's presentation is titled Generating Physical Activity Domain-Specific Data Using Accelerometers and GPS. I can see you're already sharing your slides. Jasper, over to you. Thank you, Andy. Yes, as you heard in the introduction, um, I'm currently the ISPA president, but this presentation is very much uh, prepared with not my ISPA hat, with, but my university uh, hat, as this is uh, the method development in this area is one of my uh, personal research interests. Um, and I think something that has formed my research career very much and very much by coincidence. Um, and this is perhaps an important story to tell. Probably about 12 years ago, when I started working within the field of uh, public health, uh, I have a very different background originally, research-wise, but I started working in this field due to my experience with GIS and to some extent with GPS data. And basically, I was brought on board in a series of projects because they had started collecting this GPS data because it was uh, one of the things they wanted to do to be able to see where, in this case, children were actually being active. And then they needed someone to help process that type of data, which at that time in 2010 was, was very novel. Um, at that time, had I known what we were getting ourselves into and taking that challenge on, I would probably not have started. Uh, but by that time, we had collected the data, 500 uh, children plus, uh, we needed to do something with it, uh, which took a lot of time. And what I'm going to do today is uh, to share some of those experiences and to come back to, as we've heard from several presentations today, um, Andreas mentioned it, Karen mentioned it, we had it in our panel discussion um, about this, the domain specificity of physical activity data and why it is important to think about that and develop methods to be able to work with that. So um, as Karen mentioned in the previous presentation, um, a lot of the things that we've been talking about today at this uh, Congress is uh, building on, on the great work done by the guideline development group uh, for the 2020 guidelines. And um, uh, Karen already uh, mentioned this paper um, showing us where the research gaps are, which I think for, well, 
I guess probably many, many scholars in, in our field is a very, very useful reference if you have to argue, especially towards funders, why what you are going to apply for is useful and needed. So uh, if you haven't seen the paper yet, please do have a look. Um, one of the things they say in this paper and where I have used the reference very much is that they say, okay, we need to uh, look at the, the differences in health effects of various types and domains of physical activity. So it's, it's as we've heard earlier today, um, physical activity during leisure time, during transportation or occupational might have quite different um, uh, impacts on overall health outcomes. Uh, and obviously the debate on whether or not physical activity during your work is healthy or not, I won't go into that today. Uh, we have other people on the uh, uh, on the ProPass group that I'm sure can do a much better job of that. But it is, I think, important to, um, uh, to keep that in mind. Uh, that this is one of the, the things that was very clearly identified as, a, uh, uh, as an issue that needs to be addressed. And to illustrate that a little bit, I've brought with me a, a small illustration or an animation, I should rather say, of uh, data that we collected by now 10 years ago um, in Copenhagen. And what you will see in a minute is one day in the life of 160 children between the ages of 10 and 16 that were wearing uh, an accelerometer and a GPS where we uh, made the very uh, crude but still commonly used uh, division in the four intensity domains. Um, and what I want to show you here and would like you to pay attention to is that this, what you are going to see here, is typically summarized in this one measure of how many minutes per day of moderate to vigorous physical activity. So when I start playing the animation, um, the dots, you'll see a lot of dots appear. The dots are different colors. The darker the red, the more uh, intense the activity is. And you'll see the timer will start running from very early in the morning. So and try to look at where do you see the activity happening um, and what is actually happening on this picture. So you start, you see the kids waking up. They move to school very, very clearly. Um, around 9.30, there's a school recess coming up. I have no idea what the one in the bottom is doing here. They must have left school. 11.30, there was another recess period coming up. Kids start to get off school. See them moving around. See, if you know Copenhagen a little bit, you will see that this is a sports area where you see a kid being quite active. Another, see, you'll, you'll see a run in a park here in a minute. Or two might have happened already. And you start seeing devices, number of dots getting less, dropping off, taking the devices off um, to go to sleep. So, and, and hopefully what you've seen is that a lot of these darker colored dots are replaced during transportation. Going back uh, and forth to school was one of the big sources for activity. The very short, it were difficult to spot uh, at this speed, but the very short recess periods in school, in this, this Danish school, about 45 minutes during a day, was another very important source for physical activity. And relatively speaking, um, physical activity in during leisure time at sports facilities was only a very, very small contributor to total daily physical activity. Yet, when we talk about physical activity self-report, um, that is very often the answer that we get. How much physical activity did you do on a certain day? Um, parents and children 
they think about did they participate in organized sports, yes or no. So it again, it's it's one of those things that shows very much how we get very, very different results um, from asking or using devices. And in this case, by putting the um, the context of the domain onto combination with the device-based physical activity, we get another an additional layer of data that I'll briefly come back to in a minute. Oh, now we need to move to the next slide and we'll start again. So as I said, and I've, I've stolen one of the, uh, the probe has figures here, which I, I very much like, because I think the point here is that physical activity is not one behavior. And you can look at it in many, many different ways. There's a lot of different constructs that are relevant to look at. Um, I won't um, look at all of them, but it's important, I think, that um, it's not just the different intensities summarized by the day. It's very much also uh, the different domains and hopefully in the not too distant future, also the different activity types within domains, as I see in an important way forward. So it's not one behavior and combining GPS, accelerometer, and GIS data makes it possible to create device-measured domain-specific physical activity measures. A lot of words, um, but basically make getting the specificity of our device-based measures, um, increasing that in relation to which domain is it happening. And the example that you just saw, the animation, is the result of combining these three types of, of data. Um, and a number of years ago by now, we, together with two uh, colleagues in San Diego, uh, we tried to to create a, a framework for how you could use this type of data in physical activity and sedentary behavior studies. If you're interested, go have a look uh, at that. Coming back to how dividing um, this total daily physical activity in domains, how that can help um, start the, the discussion or the debate on what type of interventions to do and how to prioritize interventions. I quite often use this figure here. So this is um, from the same study that I showed the animation from. So it's about these 500 something uh, children in Denmark, 10 to 16 year olds. And if we look uh, across all these children uh, and take the average day, then we can see that about 20% of their daily MVPA occurs during transport to and from school. So not transport in general, just transport to and from school. About 40% of their daily moderate to vigorous physical activity happens at school, about 30 uh, and a little bit percent uh, in leisure time, and the last bit at home. So, um, and, and as I said, this to me shows very, very clearly how important transport to and from school is for children and how important school is in relation, for example, to uh, physical activity during leisure time. And you can even go one or two steps further, as we've done in different studies. And you can, for example, look at uh, within the school domain, how much physical activity is happening during PE. Uh, and the example Karen was showing before with the tennis, um, we've done something very similar with PE lessons, where typically, if you think about it, you would say that, okay, one hour of PE uh, would probably be one hour of moderate to phys vigorous physical activity. It's not. Uh, similar to the tennis, we can show that one hour of PE is typically between only um, between uh, 15 and 20 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity. 
Whereas we can see that for, for school recess, up to 90% of the recess time um, can be moderate to vigorous physical activity. And if you then translate that, you can say, okay, well, one extra hour of PE per week for a school will result in less, typically, for the, for the average kid, will result in less, um, a smaller increase in moderate to vigorous activity than 10 minutes of recess per day more. And those are quite interesting things to, to think about and to discuss when you talk about interventions and when you talk about, okay, well, where can we actually do something to uh, increase or change physical activity behavior? To me, as I said, a good example of, of why having this type of data in domains is important in the discussion. So it's not one behavior and said not one, there's not one solution to promote physical activity. It's very related to that, uh, which brings me to my ISPA hat a little bit at least. Um, I think it's one of those reasons to say there's not one solution that works for everyone, works in every contact. Uh, and one of the things that ISPA has been doing that we uh, also within my research work have been using very actively is saying, okay, well, we have to figure out for which population group and which context which type of investments would make most sense. And again, if you have domain-based or domain-specific physical activity data, that is a lot easier. Because if you deal with a population group that are already transporting themselves actively to work, well, your active transportation intervention will have very little effect because they are already maxed out. So you need to look at something else and vice versa. So again, being able to, to separate where activity is happening to start with helps you to set much more realistic goals for your evaluation as well. Um, if you, for example, as we've done several times in the past, if you plan a school-based intervention uh, where your, um, your, your, your active ingredients in your intervention are um, um, better PE lessons, then that will have an effect for those children who are least active during PE, typically. Whereas those that were already active to begin with won't gain more activity and so on. So um, it's again, it helps to be more specific about intervention effects. Uh, and especially when you're looking, working with interventions in the real world, it helps you much better to assess, well, did my intervention actually have an effect where there was a, an effect that was possible theoretic effect that you could actually achieve. So um, how do we do this? How do we combine this type of data? What is the process involved in that? Typically, it starts not surprisingly by collecting the data, as we have heard earlier today about some of the other studies as well. Uh, we merge and clean the data. Uh, at the moment, we use a, a software tool for that called Habitus. I'll get back to that in a minute. Um, but that's not just, that's not enough. So what is very important to realize is that while a, a GPS, a global positioning system uh, tracker, can give you the longitude and latitude of where the device is, that doesn't tell you actually what it is. So an X and a Y coordinate don't tell you if that is the workplace of a person or not. You actually need to collect that additional data to know where that does this person work or go to school or yeah, whatever other domain you're interested in. So you need additional data. Um, and that can be both 
data from a geographic information system, so spatial data, but it could also be survey data or diaries, um, anything with a with a timestamp or in another way that you can match through your device data. Then the, the next step is, so, so those first steps are rather technical. You need to do a lot of work. You need to collect a lot of data. But the most important conceptual step is actually step number four. You need to decide how, which output domains you want to create, the variables, how you want to aggregate your data. And um, we have a lot of PhD students visiting our group um, that have collected this type of data. And, and basically, they manage very well with step one to three. And then quite often, they like a lot of help with step four to have this discussion. How do we actually do this? Um, which is, I think, one of those things where um, we can provide guidance. Then the practical next step is to, to when you've, once you've decided what you want to do, process everything. Um, at the moment, we use a, an R tool that was developed by Tom Stewart, a researcher in the Auckland, at Auckland University of Technology in New Zealand which then gives you uh, your nice summary tables or uh, GIS uh, files. So you can also show your data on the map again afterwards that you can use for further analysis. So it's a lot of steps in here. And just to yeah, give you an example or uh, um, show you, tell you a little bit more, this is a, a system that we uh, currently used to, to merge these type of data. Um, and there is a lot of data. Those of you that have experience with accelerometer data, you know how much data there is. Um, when you add GPS, the complexity and the amount of data doubles at least, um, probably more than that, um, which also makes the processing quite complicated. So what does this system do? Um, it merges it based on timestamp, which is already a bit tricky. Um, it removes a lot of the errors. So uh, one of the problems with GPS, and everyone that has used a GPS while driving knows this, um, sometimes, especially in a dense urban environment, tall buildings next to you, the GPS gets confused and doesn't really know where you are exactly because the signal is bouncing off tall buildings or being blocked by an overpass or something like that. So there's a lot of error in GPS data, which we try to remove as much as possible. Um, we like to, because transportation is such an important domain for physical activity, we identify trips and, and trip modes, um, categorize uh, activity. At the moment, we uh, primarily use the, the the old school uh, activity cut points with the uh, activity intensities, activity bouts, sedentary uh, bouts, uh, all that is uh, doable. And of course, everything can be adapted. We compile the additional data, as I mentioned before, it can be a lot of things. If you are at a study where you're very interested in the use of parks, you can do that, sports facilities, and so on. Uh, and obviously, uh, some of the presentations we've heard early today, work data, workplace data, occupational uh, data is, is very useful. So then quite practically, once you, you have all that, you put it all together and there it is important to, to realize the volume of this. And this is very much where, um, where I started my presentation, um, where the challenge came in. Because if you have, uh, if you collect data uh, at a 10 second interval, which we quite often do, that means you have six points per minute, which means you get, if you have a, a good participant that wears the devices for seven days, you have 
about 60,000 points per week, which means that if you have 500 participants, that gives you 30 million data points. 30 million data points is a lot for a, or at least 10, 12 years ago, it was a lot for a statistical program. It was a lot for a GIS program. So we needed to come up with good ways of processing that in a, in a, yeah, in a practical way. Um, so it's an, it has become a hierarchical system where we simply look at, we after we've defined the domains, and this is an example where we sort of have home, work, transport, and, and other quite simple four domains. And for each of those 30 million points, uh, if we have 500 participants, you would look at, okay, is this about a specific participant's home? Yes or no? Is it at their workplace? Is it during transport? And if it's no to all of them, we sort of end up with this big other category. You can subdivide those domains. So for example, transportation, if we know the home and the work address, we can identify what is commuting from home to work. And you can also then say, is that an active commute or a passive commute and so on. So you can get as detailed as you want, but it is an hierarchical process that from a data perspective includes a lot of loops, um, which makes it quite computational intensive. It's yeah, it's open source as our uh, programs tend to be. Homework, school, transport, other as an example. Um, how does that look when you put it on the map? You should basically imagine this is just one day for one participant. This is a, a child here. So the blue is the school domain. So this is the school grounds. So all those blue points are classified as school. Uh, the red points here, that's the home uh, with a certain radius around it because there are GPS error. The yellow ones are transportation and the green are sort of other areas where things are, are happening. So this is an example of one day of, of data for one participant, which then obviously is available as uh, tables as well that you can analyze. At the moment, we typically have these type of variables. They're very common. You know them um, if you've worked with accelerometer data. The addition here is that we not only get this time in MVPA, we don't only get it per day, but we also get it per domain. So you can see, as I showed earlier in the, um, the pie chart, for example, our school children over their different domains, how is that MVPA time, how is it divided over the day, over the domains? So this has been a uh, continuous process over the past 10, 12 years. A lot of people have been involved in developing uh, tools, primarily, as I said, in the beginning for ourselves to, to be able to work uh, with this type of data that we had spent so much time and energy uh, collecting. And moving forward, uh, we are looking at, uh, yeah, um, integrating more tools. So the open source GGIR from, developed by Vincent van Hayes and many other colleagues, we will are integrating that with our current uh, combination or merging software and integrating that with the uh, R package, one system that can do the whole process will become available um, via our university research cloud, which is GDPR compliant and secure. Um, but it can also be downloaded as a, what they call a Docker container. Um, our assessment is that it's too big uh, as an R package and it requires quite a lot of computational power, but is relatively easy to set up in a different cluster computer. Uh, and Vincent van Hayes, he's uh, developing a, a shiny uh, interface for us, which is hopefully a lot more intuitive than our current interface. 
Uh, we're testing, hoping to have the first demonstrations ready uh, around ICAMPAM uh, in, in June uh, this year. Um, we're also um, looking at the next generation of devices. We're working with the, uh, the same uh, Danish company that uh, Andreas and Nidhi were talking about earlier today, uh, called Sense. Um, and yeah, hopefully we can also build on, on some of the, the surpass uh, experiences and, and their platform to a certain extent, um, but combining that uh, and also then having the possibility to add domains to activity type data, which I think is very much one of the next steps in this field. So if I sum up, um, it having these types of data, um, it makes it possible to create these measures and, and hopefully demonstrate why that can be really useful, um, both in terms of what type of interventions you want to look at, but also yeah, in general to get a better understanding of, of what is actually important, which domains are important for people. However, data collection and processing are very demanding, much more so than for accelerometers. So um, I would say probably four to five times. So it's not just two devices who double up, but probably four to five times more intensive, which is really a problem, um, both for our participants, but also for us as researchers. So it's something we are, I think we've gotten a lot better over the years, but definitely more work to be done. Um, it's also, it's a big field where uh, there are not a lot of people working with development. The more we collaborate, I think that's the only option to move this forward. And hopefully uh, the, the new tools and devices will make it easier in the, uh, in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jasper. That was excellent. Again, you covered a lot of, a lot of ground there and really fascinating to see um, some of the insights and, and the technicalities behind um, integrating kind of multiple sensor data. Um, so we have had a couple of questions uh, come through the chat, but I'm going to um, exploit my privilege as, as chair of the session and, and ask you the question that, that sprung to mind when I was watching your presentation. In that, um, So we've had a lot of talk today about, about guidelines. And indeed, you started your presentation by flagging this, this gap in the evidence base that, that came to light um, on the back of of producing the most recent set of guidelines. Um, now, in, in general, our guidelines at the moment focus on kind of intense intensity and duration, and in some instances, uh, frequency of, of activity as well. I wondered how you see, or if indeed you see a place for this domain-specific information to feed in to the guidelines, what's the contribution um, or indeed, do you see this this domain kind of information primarily as being informative for kind of physical activity promotion intervention design? I I, I would say the latter. So I, in my mind, also as as Karen was talking about before, I think the guidelines and the evidence for that is one thing, and then communication to uh, improve or increase physical activity is another thing. And I think, um, of course, the the Having more the, the domain-specific data will perhaps help inform us on the guidelines. But do I personally ever envisage domain-specific guidelines? No, I don't think so. Uh, I, I would personally not see the, the, why that would make sense, unless um, new evidence will show us that the 
effect on health is very different. So if potentially some of Andreas's studies in the future show that, okay, certain types of physical activity during work have, have a negative effect, then that's obviously something to, to consider and think about. But I think in general, I see it very much as a tool uh, that can help us uh, with our messaging towards people that we would like to increase physical activity with and as a uh, as a tool that can help us identify where there is a potential for increased activity because I think that is very very different from person to person um, so so that's where I see the main uh, the main role of, of domain based data thank you Jasper Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.